This is a, uh, a fantastic turnout for us. We, we normally have about 20 people today. I think we're, we're at uh, about 60. And uh, certainly speaks to the importance of this topic. Probably the most important uh, issue affecting the fiscal sustainability of, of Manitoba going forward. Uh, before I introduce Will, I'd like to just uh, recognize some uh, people in the audience. Uh, of course, John Gerard from the Liberal Party. Thank you. Rana Bakari, the, the new leader of the Liberal Party. Of course, Garland Laliberti from the uh, Bipole 3 Coalition. We have lots of people from the Bipole 3 Coalition today. And then we also have a, a table from the IBEW and uh, Mike Vili. Where are you, Mike? There you are. Okay. <laughs> interesting mix of, uh, of people. So, Will. Will was born in Shortdale, Manitoba and raised on a family farm. He graduated from the University of Manitoba with a bachelor and master's degree in electrical engineering. His entire engineering career, spanning over 36 years, was spent with Manitoba Hydro. Will worked in the construction, operating and planning areas within the corporation. His most challenging engineering work was being part of a specialized pioneering engineering group in designing the Nelson River Direct Current Transmission System. He served his last nine years as vice president, retiring in 1993. He wrote a number of technical papers on high voltage DC transmission, the notable ones being presented at the World Energy Conference in Detroit and the Institute of Electrical Engineers in London, England. And Will, uh, please come up. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much, Peter. And uh, I think we're ready to go here. For those of you who may not be familiar with the Manitoba geography, Shortville is very close to Roblin, Manitoba, which is where I received my high school. Um, I'm going to cover about 15 years of history of Bipole 3 in about half an hour. So fasten your seat belts and we're going to cruise through this quickly and we'll get to the main issues which uh, will deal with developments which have occurred in the last couple of weeks and in the last year or so. So the, the saga of Bipole 3 began in 1996 with the catastrophic outage of Bipoles 1 and 2, which carried 75% uh, of Manitoba Hydro's power from the Nelson River to Winnipeg. And you can imagine that when these lines go down, it's a very tenuous situation. However, the system survived, the light stayed on, but Hydro realized that they were in a very precarious position, and so work commenced immediately to uh, uh, provide a backup for bipoles one and two. And this work, and so a plan was developed whereby there was, Hydra was going to build a line on the east side, some 900 kilometers in length. It was going to cost approximately a billion dollars with today's estimates. As a matter of interest, that works out about a million dollars per kilometer. The in service date was pegged at 2017. And here's an important feature. No converters were required until about 2024 for domestic needs. <clears throat> now this is a very important element because converters just about triple the cost of the line. And so I've put this all on a map and I'm going to direct your attention to the map. 
And if I can pick up the laser pointer here. The, the interesting features or the significant features here are the generation plants in the north. We have kiosk here with an open rectangle. Kiwatno, um, the DC terminal, and Kanawapa. And conceptually, I've put a DC line down the east side of Lake Winnipeg, terminating at a station called Riel on the east side of Winnipeg. Now, another feature to, to realize on this map is that there are really only three corridors from the north to the south. The middle corridor, which is called the Interlake Corridor, is where the existing lines lie. The east corridor, which is what Manitoba Hydro came up with in uh, 2000. And the only remaining corridor left, if you want to get from the north to the south, is going from on the westerly side near the Saskatchewan border in this general direction. Now, the um, Hydra started to approach the Aboriginals in early 2000s to negotiate for a right-of-way. And when the government got wind of that, they didn't like this idea because they had other plans for the east side of the forest. And you'll notice there's a little piece of green area here that I've designated on this map. And this was deemed to be rather pristine wilderness in the opinion of the wildlife people, the environmental people, conservation people, and the aboriginals. And they had plans for that area. And the plans for that area was to designate that area as the United Nations Heritage Site. And so when the government found out that Haidu was poking around and looking for a right-of-way, they um, gave the direction to Haidu to avoid the east side. Now this turned Haidu into a bit of a tizzy. The engineers are very upset about this because in the engineering side it was clearly understood that there was only one viable route and that was on the east side. Anything other than the east side route was going to create serious problems. And so there was debate going up and back and forth between Haidu and the government about this issue. And the government realized that it had a bit of an issue on its hand. So wanting to be seen to be green, they embarked on the program of selling green. And to this end, of course, 2004, Robert Kennedy Jr. blows into town. And he's from the National Resource Defense Council. And he was schmoozed with the premier, schmoozed with the media. And then he flew up to Poplar River, spend a night with the chief there. He hugged a few trees, he came back to Winnipeg and triumphantly proclaimed that yes, this is a pristine wilderness, it is worthwhile saving, it should not have any trees cut, and therefore I do support the government in uh, avoiding a hydro line through this area. Well, he went back to the United States, and lo and behold, before you know it, 30,000 emails inundated the government extolling the virtues of this pristine wilderness and essentially saying, do not build a transmission line here. Well, not to be outdone, of course, David Suzuki and his entourage blow into town, and uh, they too supported the government in this move of avoiding any uh, line on the east side. Well, of course, while this is going on, there's this engineering controversy. The engineers in Hydra are saying, there is no other viable option. And of course, there's reports being written and they're being dealt with with the executive and the board of the Manitoba Hydro. And of course, this was going simultaneously while the government was selling his green policy. Well, in exasperation, the Hydro says, okay, we're going to get an outside consultant 
and he's going to give us the right answer, and we'll just get the truth on this matter. Is it a viable option or isn't it a viable option? So they engaged a very reputable firm by the name of Transgrid Solutions. Uh, this person had experience with uh, uh, DC transmission, and lo and behold, his conclusion was that the hydro engineers were correct, that the east side line had every advantage over any in entertainment of a west side option. This report was the report that was leaked to the public in the pre-election period of 2011. And it was very valuable information because normally those of us who are retired on the outside, we don't have ready access to hydro information. And this was tremendous assistance to us. So it kind of put into better focus some of the things that we were saying about the West Side Line. So I'm going to put up another diagram here and okay and then 2007 Gary Durer makes a public announcement that the line shall be on the west side that was it enough discussion enough back and forth talk they had made up their minds and that was it the American environmentalists were happy they're dancing in the streets they have been successful the Hydro engineers are furious furious to the point that I know that there were two people who felt very strongly about the issue. One of them took early retirement, and another one says, I'm not going to work in this project because it is not for the betterment of society. He asked for transfer, and there were other, many others who were unhappy, but they just hunkered down and just kept on working. Okay, here's my map. And here's the route that Hydro had came up with in a few years, and it's the red line on the west side now. I've left the east line up, but there's only going to be one line here. And it comes towards Thompson and hugs the Saskatchewan border near the Depaw area and comes all the way down south and takes the peculiar curly queue going all the way in southern Manitoba through to the Red River Valley near Steinbeck up Pasina and approaches Winnipeg again to the Riel station from the east side. So what's the lowdown on this west side line? What's the uh, economic technical story on it? Well, first of all, this line is 1,400 kilometers. It's 55% longer, but it needs converters. And I mentioned earlier, converters are very expensive. So by going to the west side, they, it, it raised the cost by adding converters. Obviously, it costs more. It costs $3.3 billion. We'll come back to this, because I know some of you have been hearing the news in the past couple of weeks. But we'll stay with the $3.3 billion for the next short while, because that was Hydro's official estimate for the longest of time, and certainly in the last three years. The West Side Line has higher losses. It's longer. So it's a wastage of power. It has a larger environmental, foot, environmental footprint, <clears throat> as you would expect. A longer line always covers more surface of the globe than a shorter line. It has lower capacity, very important on the engineering side. It has a capacity of only 2,000 megawatts. The shorter line could have had a capacity of 3,000 megawatts. And here's an important baby, less secure. This line was touted as being built for reliability, remember, as backup for bipoles 1 and 2. The east line was very secure. The west line being longer, it is less secure, and it goes through Tornado Alley. Now, you might ask, well, what in the world is Tornado Alley? Well, I'll show you on the next slide. A phenomenon that's well known within Manitoba Hydro. And on the next slide, <coughs> and I apologize for the quality slide. I'm going to ask you to squint your eyes a bit. But this 
map is produced by Environment Canada and shows all of the tornadoes that have occurred from 1870 to 2003. Every red dot here denotes a tornado at some point in time. So Manitoba is on the right side here. Saskatchewan is down in the middle. And this is Alberta on the, uh, on the left side. So I direct your attention to the Manitoba southwest corner. Here's Lake Manitoba, Lake Winnipegosa. Note all the red dots here in the southwest corners of Manitoba. This is an occurrence of a tornado sometimes in the past one, in the 133 years that have been recorded here. And the line actually comes right down through here, makes a curly cue, and approaches Winnipeg. And Winnipeg is just about on that black border there. Um, and notice that the east line would have taken off from this point and gone straight north. Far fewer occurrences of tornadoes where the east line would have been located than where the west line is going. And not only that, it sort of takes a nice curly cue and really gives a lot of exposure to future tornadoes. Not very good if you're worried about security. This, ladies and gentlemen, is where the plant starts to spin out of control. Because you don't have to be much of an accountant to know or finance man to know that if you're going to have additional costs, it's going to create a terrible rate shock to the customers. So then Hydro concluded they needed additional revenue. And the first reaction is, well, we'll go to look at the United States because in 1970s and 80s, we had built three transmission lines of which there was an interconnection, interconnection capability of 2,000 megawatts. It's already in place out of a total hydro generation of 5,500 megawatts. So there were strong interconnections through the United States. However, if you're going to sell power, you need new generation. Now, because there was just wasn't enough surplus power from, from, from the Manitoba system as it exists today. So what's the next thing you do? You build kiosk. 695 megawatt plant at a cool cost of $6.5 billion. Now the government loves to build because building is good. It's, it's, it creates jobs, it's training, you construct infrastructure for the northern communities all paid for by Manitoba Hydro. Building plants also is good for the government and the fact that it gives revenue via the back door. You get water rentals, you get revenue from debt servicing, and you also get capital taxes. So this is great. If you're the government and stuff is being built by Manitoba Hydro, you get revenue and you kind of distance yourself from Manitoba Hydro, the Manitoba Hydro pays for it, which means the ratepayers pay for it, the power users pay for it, and the government gets revenue. So, hey, building is good. Problem. Hydro goes down to the area in which the lines are located. That's North Dakota, South Dakota, Wisconsin. The market is very soft. Why? Gas. Bakken oil field gas. And they're converting by legislation from coal to gas. So the Americans aren't very interested. They're interested in some power because it's the right time of the year and the right part of the season, but there's no great globs of power. Solution, you have to find a new market. Where is that market? Wisconsin. So Hydro goes over to Wisconsin, has a big block of power that they can sell. Another problem, they can't access the market where they want it. Solution, you build a new line from Winnipeg to Wisconsin. A billion dollars more. 
just a cool billion bucks. More cost. You see how the plan is starting to kind of unravel a bit here? Okay, so here's, I'm just going to, it's the same map, but I've added the Wisconsin line here. It starts in Winnipeg, takes a little short turn around South Winnipeg and hits off for the border. And that's where the Wisconsin line is being touted. Now, in NASA space dock, you know, when you start getting a major problem, Hydra had the same issue. Houston, we have a problem. The additional export exceed Kia's capacity. Well, here, first of all, we had built kiosk for export. They sold great globs of power. There was a tremendous amount of fanfare about selling this, selling this 500 megawatts and the billions of dollars. And uh, this was wonderful. But now there's not enough power. They oversold a hand. Solution, easy. You build another plant. You build Kanawapa. Remember, this is good for the government. Your revenue keeps coming in. There's jobs. There's money floating around. All paid for by Manitoba Haidu with an increasing debt. $10.7 billion. Just, just virtually doubles the cost. Houston, we have another problem. With Kanawapa and Kiosk, it overloads by pole three. Remember the line we were building just as backup? Now it's overloaded. What do we do? Here's the solution. You build some northern AC transmission to the, take the last 25% of Kanawapa into the system, and these lines will be going into the thompson Flon area, the northwest part of, of Manitoba. So now, finally, we're finished with all of the planning and building that we're going to do to sell power at the United States. The next part of the exercise is to submit the plan to the Public Utilities Board. Now, worry about the Public Utilities Board. The Public Utilities Board is a regulatory body created by legislature whose function it is to review major developments of transmission, generation, and sales within Manitoba Haidu. And they, they review something that's called the NFAT review. That's what they were going to review. NFAT stands for Need for and Alternatives to. In plain English, it means they're going to review Manitoba Hydro's plans. So, here's the submission that Hydro made to the Public Utilities Board for review. The hearing, which started last spring, it was March and April that carried on, and the report came out in July of this year. First, he submitted the plan for $3.3 billion for Bipole 3. And they had Kiask, $6.5 billion expenditure. And they also submitted the Wisconsin line for $1 billion. And Kanawapa for $10.7 billion. And Northern Lines for half a billion dollars. Now you add up all these numbers and you come up with $22 billion. Well, let's, let's just put this into perspective, a cost comparison. The original plan back in 2000 was for an initial uh, east line of a, bi a billion bucks. No converters, just some in-connection devices. And now the final plan, selling power into market that's soft. We're not sure of the profits. Nothing to be said about profits for $22 billion. Now you might say, well, what do all these numbers mean? One billion, 22, how bad is it? Well, I want to relate it to Hydro's to current total assets. 
which are $15 billion. Now here's something we can anchor our numbers to. Hydro's current assets, $15 billion. You're adding $22 billion. What do you think is going to do the rates? They're going to go through the roof. And it's all going to be debt as well. Just like putting money on a credit card. Somebody has to pay it off. Hydro has no money tree. It only gets its money from its customers, whether they be domestic or export. So this kind of gives you a flavor of, uh, of, of how significant these expenditures are. Now the current asset of $15 billion, I want to remind you, represent all of the generators, all of the transmissions, all of the stations, meters, distribution that have been built in the last 100 years. Think about that. Hydro has built the current system that we have today that keep these lights on, $15 billion. And now, in the next 10 years, we want to more than double that? Very, very, very ambitious undertaking. Okay, what's the, what's the fallout of relocating Bible 3? And I think we have to just have a look at where we've come from. Manitoba did not need generation until 2024. And with aggressive demand side management, we wouldn't have needed generation until 2034. So instead of building Kiosk in 2019, I think the in-service date is, it'll probably be late. Most things are. We could have gone for the next 17 years without any generation, built that simple line on the east side for a billion bucks, and gone away for 17 years. But no. They haven't done that. One simple move of moving the line to the west side has precipitated the requirement for revenue and huge costs for generation and transmission. And oh, by the way, we almost forgot that little green chunk of, of uh, pristine wilderness that I showed in the map. Whatever happened to that heritage site? We were told there was going to be billions of dollars of tourism flowing into Manitoba. And so an application went in, and here's what happened. UNESCO rejected the heritage site. Now, in those circles, it's, uh, they, kind of, they don't reject it outright. They kind of clear their throat, straighten their tie, and say they uh, need more information. Well, excuse me. They took five years, spent about $10 million, submitted a 150-page report, and still didn't cover all the bases. Something not quite right here. And if you talk to some people who are familiar with the issue, they say, you know what? It's being rejected. They'll never get it. But at this point in time, they're getting more information. And I don't know what kind of more information they can get. They spent five years trying to get it. And anyway, that's where we are today. Now, in all fairness, I have to let you know that PUB ruled with the July report the work must be stopped on Kanawapa and associated northern transmission. So we save about 11 billion bucks of that plan. But they did say don't build it. You've got to come back. This is PUB talking. You have to come back to us if you want to get permission to resume the building of this plant. But the case wasn't made strongly enough to proceed and get a license for building the plant. Now, you know, when I was working back in Haidu, you periodically you ran into issues of this type. You just sort of venture off path, just go in a certain direction and you really get into a real mess. And there was an expression that went around the coffee table, and I want to throw it up on the board because I think it's very telling. And I went on the internet, it's called the Mother Jones Quotation. When you're up to your rear end in alligators, it's easy to forget 
The original objective was merely to drain the swamp. This whole project started 15 years ago. By the way, I should mention, off the internet, it didn't have rear end, but my wife said, no, 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 this is a very sophisticated audience. You can't say that. But it did say, up to your ass and alligators, right on the internet. So there we go. Hey, this thing was just going to be a simple line on the east side. Billion bucks. And what's happened here? They're up to the rear end and alligators now putting up brush fire after brush fire. And this happens periodically in the corporation. And it happened in my time, it keeps on happening. But it, because the money is so huge here, it has very serious implications on rates. Well, let's have a look at export sales. Simple formula here, folks. Profit equals revenue minus costs. That's pretty simple. Fifth grader can understand that. You get some money from revenue, you cover your cost, you take one number from the other and you see where you get profits. Now in West Coatum, things didn't work out well. West Coatum, the cost exceeded the profits because the cost got away on hydro. And so the profits were minus. They were losing money. And the power users of Manitoba are subsidizing. And not only that, the Aboriginals said, hey, we're partners in this thing. Where's our money? Where's our profits? Hydra had to give them some of the profits as well, paid for, of course, by who else? The power users in Manitoba. Now, the reason I put this up is that revenue, that first number is usually fixed. You make an agreement with your people you're selling power to, the amount of power is fixed, the prices are fixed, the timelines are fixed, and you know exactly the money you're getting. The only other variable you got is cost. And this cost, you know, they're a pretty fluid number. And you can very quickly find out now with all the expert contracts that are in place, by the way, which are held secret, they're not available for the public. The Public Utility Board, uh, for the longest of time, couldn't get a hold of them. Finally, they got a hold of them, and now all the members are sworn to secrecy because they don't want the public to know what the contracts are on the basis that it'll hamper their negotiations in the future. Well, folks, I worked in Hydro, and I never even came anything close to that. I don't know what the atmosphere has changed. That all of a sudden, these things have to be secret. Me thinks there's a problem, and that's why it's not being made public. And there's proof in this, and I'll show you what the proof is right away. Well, we have to look at the cost, and uh, this is where Hydro and the government clearly realized there's no profit in these American contracts. The cost is just too high. The plants are very expensive. And Bipole 3 is nagging them. It's expensive. And they can't cover the cost. So what do they do? They get into the Public Utilities Board and they scope. The scoping is the manipulation. They manipulate the scoping. Here's what scoping is. Hydro, I mean the government lays out the rules under which the Public Utilities Board is to review Hydro's plans. So in other words, they say it's an arm length uh, or operation. But over here, they're pulling the strings because they're laying out the rules. And by that, and this is almost like a rigged hockey game. I'm sorry to use an analogy here, but, but I'm going to do it because I believe it's a good analogy. It's like head office sets the rules, and they give the rules to the referee, which is the public utilities board, and they let the game be played out between Hydro and the public. And the public can be the interveners, be the wildlife, bipole three coalition, or whoever. But you know what? 
Hydra's going to win. They're going to make sure that the rules are such that they get the license, because that's the objective. And here's how they have manipulated this thing. They have declared, by stroke of a pen, that Hydro, in this hearing, in the review of the American contracts, will have pay the following sunk cost. And sunk cost means, this is important, sunk cost means costs that are part of the system that have nothing to do with the exports. So if you don't bring them to the cost formula on that on the previous slide. In other words, they're manipulating the cost parameter of this formula. So what did they do? They say, okay, the entire Bipole 3 cost will be a sunk cost picked up by the Manitoba power users. And not only that, if that's not enough, we're going to make $1.4 billion of the total kiosk cost of $6.5 a sunk cost. And if that isn't enough, we're going to make $0.4 billion of Kanawapa out of the total of $10.7 billion, also part of the sunk cost. Now mind you, Kanawapa is being stopped now, so the whole thing kind of is up in the air, and I don't know how we're going to reconcile all these changes that the Public Utilities Board has implemented. Well, this means that uh, 5.1 of kiosks is left, and $1 billion of the Wisconsin line is the only thing that Hydro has to put into the cost formula, this formula here. There's only just the plant up north, only portion of it, and the Wisconsin line. Everything else for the Americans is free. Well, that's a good deal. It's bound to show a profit. So while this, and here's another alligator, while all this is going on, talk about alligators. I have to cover the estimate controversy because it just a couple of weeks ago there was some new developments on it. The initial estimate was $2.2 billion. This is when the line was put on the west side. Now, I know that that was a very crude estimate. It was just put in as a placeholder in the budget just to recognize that there's going to be a different cost here. And that was the 1,400-kilometer line plus the converters. In 2009, the news hit the street that Hydro came up with a new estimate of $4. billion. That was just about the time before the election took place. And this was terrible, terrible news for the government because, because they moved the line... The cost now has mushroomed to $4 billion. Now, this was a, a, a leaked document signed off by two vice presidents saying that it's $4 billion. In the meantime, there were things going on within Hydro, and the president denied knowing anything about the new estimate. No, no, it's still $2.2 billion. And this was a debate that was going on in the public and the news media. And uh, I really think... Like, I almost felt insulted when I was hearing this kind of news because I was in executive meetings and I know how they work. You cloister yourself in the meeting for a couple of hours, you drink a lot of coffee, and you talk with the president about how things are going in the company. You mean to say nobody whispered in his ear, hey, boss, it's gone up to four billion bucks. That was a joke, though. Anyway, it was done for political reasons, okay? The president of the day said, no, it's only 2.2 billion. So, what to do? Well, you get an outside consultant all the time. If your engineers aren't giving you the answer, you go to the outside consultant. He'll tell you the right answer, and he did go to the outside consultant, and they came in with a reduced estimate to $3.3 billion, not $4 billion. How was it done? Well, I'll tell you how it was done. There was some modern equipment brought in, which uh, was supposed to lower the cost. Um, it's called um, voltage-controlled uh, source um, commutation. And uh, also they moved some overheads and they skinned down on uh, 
contingencies, and so you squeeze it down to 3.3 billion. And this was hailed as a major victory. It's not 4 billion, it's only 3.3 billion. What are you worried about, people? But the chickens always come home to roost. And anybody dealing with estimates knew that this was just, just a temporary fix. There was no fix at all. Because the chickens come home to roost because just about three weeks ago, we got a new estimate when the bids came in. And the bids didn't have any of the modern equipment. They had the old style equipment that was guaranteed to work with synchronous condensers. And that cost, ladies and gentlemen, was $4.6 It came out in September 2014. And if you've been following the story, all of you know that this was a dramatic development. 40% increase over the cost that was in the budget. And it blew the estimate out of the water. Well, now I come to my final slide. And if you never remembered anything I told you this morning, I would urge you to look at the numbers that I'm going to bring up right away. It's my final slide before I put my cartoon on. It's called the NDP government's $3,600 lie. In 2011, we were inundated with this phrase. This is before the election. Manitobans won't pay a cent for Bipole 3. Export sales will pay for it. What are you people worried about? There it is, in black and white. You won't cost you a cent. The truth, now, with the rules before the Public Utilities Board, and by the way, just came out in the papers a couple of days ago. Scott Thompson, the president, said, yeah, it's true. The truth is, Manitobans will pay for it all. The whole shooting $4.6 billion. And, and in 2014, of course, back last April, we knew this was the case. <coughs> Bipole 3 was ruled as a sunk cost. Now, what does this mean? So I get some simple arithmetic here. You take the $4.6 billion, you divide by the population of Manitoba, and you have $3,600 for every man, woman, and child. This is the credit card that Haidu has given to the <clears throat> every man, woman, and child in this Manitoba and put a $3,600 charge on it. There'll be all kinds of spins and deceptions here. You know, when they're going to reduce a cup of coffee a day. You know, this is the old trick that's been used for years. It's nothing new. But you don't want the $3,600 to sort of stand out there as a debt that has to be paid off by Manitobans power users, and it will be paid up by Manitoba power users. There is no other way. This is a, a double cross of extreme proportions, and that number shows you that this government's fingerprints are on the murder weapon. And where does it leave all the power customers in Manitoba? Here's where it leaves them. That completes my presentation. I will. I certainly will. Okay. Uh, will, with this, when they're deciding on Bipole 3, they all and I analyze different alternatives to Bipole 3 for the reliability to us based on the $3.28 million. Now that it's gone up to $4.6 billion, 
those studies that justified BIPOL 3 on reliability are invalid. Do you agree with that? I agree with 100%. But it should be redone. No question about that. Dennis has a very good point. Dennis Woodford, ladies and gentlemen, he, um, he runs a corporation called Electronics. Yes. Um, thank you, Will, for taking a, a very complex subject and reducing it to its basic elements so that anyone can understand. My question to you is, what is the role of leadership, specifically the role of the CEO, in determining the future of our most important resource? And uh, how would you assess it at this point in time? Uh, as an ex VP Hyduit, let me just collect my thoughts for a while here because it, it plays a very vital role. I mean, th but that's not answering your question. Uh, I don't know what you're asking me as to what it was like in the last 22 years or 25 years. Is that your question? No, no. I, that's history. I'm talking about today. In oh, terms so of very what, important. What is the role of the CEO <coughs> given the mandate prior? Okay. Here's the point. I'm going to go a little, take a little bit of time to answer your question. I hope I can zero in on it. You know, during this controversy, you know what the thing that surprised me the most? The board was surprisingly silent. Nobody in the board. And the board is supposed to represent people like you and me, the people of Manitoba. They're supposed to be a little bit appointed by the government. Everybody knows that. But they're supposed to look out for the interest of Kari. Nobody said boo about whether the West Line is good or bad, whether things are going good or bad. They were silent. <clears throat> now, the board gives direction to the CEO. And the CEO is the guy who spends full time on this issue. Now, the CEO, I believe, should have stood up and told the truth and keep on telling the truth. And I was rather pleased that Scott Thompson came out directly at the public accountability meeting and said, yes, Hydra will pay for it all. That was a very, very revealing statement because I've seen, I've been at these public accountability meetings, both as a participant and, a, and in my retirement years as a witness. It's all kinds of bobby, weaving, twisting, turning. You know, a politician gives an answer by not giving an answer. And that was also happening by the CEO of the day, always waffling around. So I was pleased with Scott Thompson on that one point. He hit the nail on the head and said yes. So is he showing leadership? Well, I wish he'd have more of a commitment to Manitoba than what he's doing, but that's that. So I don't know what that's, it's a tough question to answer very definitively. Okay, yes. Good morning, Will. And the next provincial election probably won't take place until the spring of 2016. Uh, will it be too late to change uh, the construction of Bipole 3 by that time? To stop it and switch it or to yes. some other direction? Well, uh, the, the word, the, the rumor I get is Bipole 3 is going to be a year late. Remember, you hear it every first. So that means 2018. So this may help us a bit with that particular issue. But I can't give you a straight just an answer. I really don't know about it. Yes. Yes. I'm just going to make a comment. This book here, Twilight of Abundance, indicates that the carbon dioxide global warming phenomenon, if you want to call it, is the biggest swindle in history, perpetuated by essentially the United Nations. And uh, so Manitoba is being swindled basically by the green idea. And I submit, having worked in climatology for 40 years, 
climate's cooling, and the prairies are probably going to lose about 20 frost-free days in the next five years. So there's a green stamp on this whole thing, and it's a myth. And it's costing us a lot of money, <clears throat> a lot of wastage. And I remember, who remembers Y2K? Remember Y2K back in the I can remember seeing, hearing press reports and radio reports. Doom and catastrophe was going to happen. And it was an industry. For the five years prior to the year 2000, it was an industry. People were writing books and getting on television, getting on radio, and making lots of money and scaring people. And as you know, nothing happened. Yeah, I was going to point out, uh, you know, I liked your presentation. It does tell the, the doom that we're facing. Uh, you left out some. I thought very significant numbers. Um, if hydro has a hard time selling power for three and a half cents, and the best we can do with recent stations is sort of 15 or 20 cents if it's wind, um, it's hard to buy something at 18 cents and sell it for a profit at three and a half, obviously. Uh, another one is the, uh, the per person, you know, the uh, 3,600 per person ends up being closer to $15,000 per taxpayer, you know, if you look at it from the point of view that it's, the taxpayers are going to be paying for this. And uh, so that's a, a scarier number, and the same with the, the lunacy of trying to sell something, knowing that you can never get, it's going to be really hard to get five cents a kilowatt in the States, and uh, it, it has cost us more than each time we, we make a station. You're right, Dave, and I should comment on it because those of us in the Bible Free Coalition have gone through a lot of these numbers, and there is no way that hydro can make a profit if they, if they include all of the legitimate costs associated with the export. This is absolute lunacy, and it violates every engineering principle. You build a line for reliability, and then you use it with a bunch of generation. You load it up with power, and then you sell it to the states, and then you say, well, we're not going to charge for the highway from the Nelson River to, to Winnipeg. It, it just violates every engineering economic criteria. The cost, there would be all kinds of costs right now, but in 20 years, they, the people are asking, easy, we're going to be paying 20 cents a kilowatt hour if this plan goes ahead. This is domestic. Garland, yes. Well, you, you commented on the Garland of Liberty. You commented on the, the revenue motive for government for, for pushing this, and, and I just want to throw a number out. I've calculated that uh, even using Hydro's numbers, which uh, in my mind are seriously questionable, about 25 cents out of your ratepayer dollar will, will go uh, towards, towards the government. So my question is, do you think that that is more of a motive for, for the government for pushing this $22 billion investment, or do uh, do they really believe that they are being seen as green? And which of those two motives is the stronger? Uh, you'd have to get into the mind of the government, and uh, I'm not sure, but, but, but Garland's absolutely right, because any building by hydro means there's revenue coming in the back door to the government, and you don't have to increase that PSD, the 1% that they put in Here's the go bad enough. But there's other revenue streams that we don't see. But let me tell you one thing. There is a direct linkage between the expenditures of Manitoba Hydro and the domestic rates. And Joe six bags can't connect the dots. And there's going to be all kinds of spins that, well, we have to keep building, <coughs> we have to keep the lights on. Generalized statements that have no bearing or relationship whatsoever to uh, 
through the issue at hand. So bringing the, the, there's no question that 15, that 15 years ago, I think if they had all of these facts on the table before them, they might have not been so quick to move them. Because it was moving the line to the west side that had precipitated these series of events and a financial <coughs> catastrophe that we're seeing unfold in front of us. Yes, go ahead. Sorry. All right, go ahead. Well, um, I'm going to hear till noon. So. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I probably have my timeline wrong. Uh, maybe 12, 14 years ago, uh, Manitoba was close to consummating an agreement to sell power to uh, uh, McGinty in southern Ontario, and that was quashed because uh, of lack of interest by Ontario. Um, about uh, a year and a half ago, I commissioned a study uh, in the context of a former CEO for the economic development for the city of Thunder Bay. And about a year and a half ago, we commissioned a study to determine how much power we would require because of the opportunity of building the largest chromite uh, deposit in a democratic rural north of Thunder Bay and put it into a production of about 13 gold mines and palladium mines. We needed power. And that study, which was done by SNC Lava and just came out at the end of 2013, illustrated that we needed about close to 900 megawatts of power. Manitoba, uh, Southern Ontario has already lost its ability as a manufacturing giant uh, to produce uh, to produce for, for for North American markets uh, because in part because there's no cheap power. A lot of the uh, the focus this morning has been on U.S. customers. In the last couple of years, has there ever been an emphasis upon selling power via an East Line? to an, a logical customer, which lies to the east. What happened to that whole thing? Sorry. I can't answer that because that's a Manitoba question. But I can tell you something that happened in the 1990s. That Ontario, I was involved with that, that project, the one to Ontario back in the 1990s. Now, Ontario takes the rap for bailing out of that contract. Not true. Here's what Ontario wanted. Ontario Hydro wanted to delay the project by two years. Manitoba took Manitoba Hydro took the occasion to say you're breaking the contract, we're getting out of this baby. And there was somebody in levels higher than me who made that decision and I never found the right answer. And I asked a number of times of my president and never would tell me what happened. So be careful. I want the folks here to know that when Ontario Hydro was blamed for bailing out of that contract. They did in a way because they wanted to change the condition. All they wanted to change a few escalation costs that keep the agreement intact. Manitoba Hydro said, no, we're bailing out of this baby. And it sued him for 80 million bucks for work we've done on Kanawapa. And that is a fact. And I know I was there. Yes. Can I just add to that? The federal government is presently funding one and a half million dollars to essentially study a national electricity highway east to west. And uh, I'm part of that study, and I'm meeting in November in Ottawa, and it's just getting started. And there's lots of reasons for justification of it, which I don't want to go into, but it is being contemplated. Trans-Canada grid sort of thing. Trans-Canada Grid, or Trans-Canada Highway, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. 
Yes, well, I, I enjoyed the presentation and I learned a few things, but uh, I have a precursor to the uh, Mother Jones quotation, which comes from my days in the construction industry, and it goes, you don't start vast projects with half-vast ideas. <laughs> Another truism. <laughs> Um, were there any alternatives other than a bipole? Like, could we have just plugged into the American grid and worked out a, a contract if we ran out, or even the natural gas in southern Manitoba? Was that an option? Well, of course, gas was an option, but this government said no gas plants. That would have been a quick option from the, to, to, the, to the reliability problem. <clears throat> yeah, sure. And um, as far as the interconnections are concerned, Remember when the bipolar <clears throat> two failed in 96, they carried 75% of the power. The lights barely stayed on, and hydro determined by 2017, they would not have stayed on. Yes? Um, yes. Oh, oh, sorry. Sure. Uh, well, uh, Mike, you um, three is for liability. Would, would, uh, would there be a more strategic way to make bipoles one and two more reliable. E even by, you know, and I'll tell you, um, I, I'm an I was an especially trained at Manitoba Hydro. I worked on bipole one and two, energized, put on the metal suit, bonded on, uh, same with their uh, Dorsey Forbes line, not all that. You know, e even down to having rapid response crews at Manitoba Hydro so that there is, because my understanding is we still have lots of capacity on, on those lines. Is there something like that that would have made more reliable? Okay, you're right, there's more capacity on the line. And that's being looked at by a number of engineering people on this issue. I guess the way I look at it, and, and, and every person got their own opinion, if you get a tornado and it takes up two miles of line, I don't care what you do with it, it's gonna go down and it's gonna cut that supply. So in my opinion, and I know there's other people who have other wonderful ideas that they're creative and they're innovative, there's nothing wrong with them. In my opinion, I think we do need a backup line, somewhere of some kind, to back up one or two, bike both one or two. It's just a personal opinion. Yes. Yeah, I was going to say that um, <clears throat> the motivation for doing this and continuing, once it became obvious to everybody, including the NDP, that this was a mistake, the motivation, I think, is more along the lines of these people are ideologues rather than a little bit of income. Uh, and there are other examples that Manitoba has um, formed an idea and they stay with it no matter what. Um, my wife used to think that Bipole 3 being longer was just to put more of Mike's people to work. And my wife found out that the steel for that is going to be Indian steel. The engineering for the, for the, the towers is going to be done in, in India. And the workers are not going to be his people probably. So I think she was at the meeting, she pointed that out, the accountability meeting a few years ago. So the motivation, her idea was, this is to put Manitobans to work, and it's an expensive way of doing it, but when you're putting people in other country, other continents to work, um, that falls apart. And one of the first things that, that this government did when it took office was declared that the pocket that teacher salaries come out of was bottomless. It was an official pronouncement that school boards could not claim poverty, and the contract that Hydro had with Mike's people was invalid after it was signed, you know, like 15 years, 14 years ago. So it's just interesting that they they have philosophies, they have things they like doing, 
when they wanted by getting into other things, but they decided that flood mitigation was a good idea, but it couldn't involve storage. So that was one of their mantras, one of their ideologue positions, and it's come to hurt us. And so they, the, sh the captain of the Titanic, he wanted to boast the fastest crossing. And he stuck to that idea in spite of advice he might have gotten on the trip. And uh, we've got the same sort of thing, that the leadership has been given good advice by you and some others, and they just ignore it because that's how they work. You know, you raise a point which traders thought, uh, thought about this thing, but there's no tank for the truck driver now. Gas turbines, what you raised. Americans are building them like crazy. <clears throat> and yet, we want to be what I call a little more Catholic than the Pope. <laughs> we here in Manitoba are going to say, well, we're going to be greener than the Americans. Now, I think everybody has to recognize that America is the biggest economy in the world, and they're going to lead the parade on the green movement. But we want to be greener than green. And it's costing us, as power users, money. Yes. I guess I, one of the things that I, I, like, I can't believe how the way they're thinking is right now with the government, because they're not, they're not dumb people. And I, I keep thinking that there's a, a plan behind this thing, that uh, internet, the national grid, like for example, Ontario, I think I just looked at our rate, my rate to the, today was 7.4 cents a kilowatt, and I think Ontario was 13 or 14. And, uh, and then we saw an announcement to Saskatchewan. So I thought that the way, or how do you get out of this? And the thing that I thought is that maybe there was a promise at some point that we'd have a national grid, and then they could say, well, look at the West, the Bipole 3, is actually going to put power into Saskatchewan and Alberta and, and that sort of thing. But then I understood that the converters apparently are so expensive that you you can't do that. Uh, so is there, like, I'm just trying to think of uh, how, uh, rather, I would say relatively intelligent people, how they can get swayed into something that seems to be uh, not very practical at all. Oh, well, I, I think it was just an oversight. Uh, okay. I have no doubt, I think that's smart people. Despite what I've said about them, they've got smart people too. Now let's face it, they know how to win elections. They've got a good election regime with the unions behind them. So they do a good job. But uh, that's, uh, I, I think if they were given a choice today, they wouldn't move so fast in moving the line on this side. I'm almost convinced of it. Because I don't think anybody foresaw all the alligators coming up. That's my opinion. But there's nothing to the West, though. Like there's no, no, uh, there, no you can't no, justify it on that basis. Well, look at all the oil in Saskatchewan. Yeah, I mean they're like North Dakota. They've got cheap, they've got cheap. They don't have high, but they've got cheap gas. And like the United States, they will be go, they'll be going to gas. And and gas is very cheap. Just give an idea. One quick thing, Peter. Gas prices peaked. I hear now that gas prices today are about forty percent of what they were when they hit a peak. So there you go. You can use gas for generation at a little cost. Well, thank you very much.